PETA, which stands for people who are absolutely out of their ever-loving minds and really need to get some form of therapy and then a useful job, all right, has now declared that milk is the perfect drink for white supremacists. Yes, the same organization that fought the noble fight to get the pictures of animals on the boxes of animal crackers freed from the pictures of circus cages has now turned its attention to the evil practice of drinking the milk of cows instead of letting the cows sell their own milk so they can afford to buy masks and dress up as human beings and escape into the wild. Something like that. I actually have no idea what these people want. They're obviously nuts. But here is a real not-made-up quote from an article on PETA's website entitled, Why Cow's Milk is the Perfect perfect Drink for Supremacists. Quote, As when Christoph Waltz's character in Inglorious Bastards drinks a glass of milk and a character in a pivotal scene of Get Out sips the cow secretion, dairy milk has long been embraced as a symbol of white supremacy. Unquote. We at The Daily Wire called PETA to ask, what that blitheringly ungrammatical sentence could possibly mean, and whether they realize they had just cited two recent fictional stories as evidence of something that doesn't exist, and whether they understood they were as loony as drugged baboons. PETA's spokeswoman, Napoleon Bonaparte, well, she said she was Napoleon Bonaparte, responded, quote, The blithering, ungrammatical nature of the sentence is our way of symbolizing that we are bat-crap crazy. Now excuse me while I conquer Europe, unquote. She then put on her Napoleon hat and rode away on a broomstick, which she pretended was a horse. The PETA article goes on to claim that milk cows are kept alive under terrible circumstances that prevent them from serving mankind as tasty hamburgers. I think that's what the article said. I didn't really understand it. Who could? Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. This is The Claven Show. Hunkity donkity. This is the Clavin Show. Tickety boo. This is the Clavin Show. Birds they be singing yo. Also be winging yo. No ease in Clavin though. This is the Clavin Show. Tickety boo. Hunkity donkity. Tickety boo. Hunkity dunkity. <laughs> All right. We're, we, we are nothing if not up to date. Never, never say that this is a show is behind the times. The mailbag is tomorrow, so you know what that means. That means that you go on dailywire.com, press the podcast button, press the Andrew Claven podcast. There is a mailbag there. And if you press that, you can ask your questions and I will answer all of them, no matter what they're about, your personal life, your religious thoughts, your political ideas. I will answer all of those questions. And my answers are guaranteed by the God King himself. They are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life on occasion for the better. You have to be a subscriber. And you know what? If, if you're a subscriber, first of all, you get another kingdom. You could have gotten it yesterday. Now you have to wait till Friday if you're not a subscriber. And we have almost reached, the Daily Wire has almost reached 1 million subscribers. And so the 1 millionth subscriber on YouTube, sorry, 1 million subscribers on YouTube, 1 millionth subscriber gets absolutely nothing, right? We don't, yeah, just, you, but, but you'll, you'll know in your heart that you were the million. All right, we got Janelle coming up to talk about transgenderism, but what she knows about that, I don't know. She'll talk about the legal aspects of transgenderism. She'll be in, I, I like the fact, you know, we, we now have this position where we have an earlier interview sometimes if something is breaking news, and we call it the Jenna spot because it's so often it's Jenna. So today we have Jenna in the Jenna spot. She should fit very neatly in there since it's made just for her. Meanwhile, it's your last week to get the Genucel sunspot. Spot corrector for free. 
for sunspots, age spots, and even red and flame patches. This could be yours for free with the purchase of Genucel. The brand new Genucel sunspot corrector boasts outstanding reviews. It really is amazing. Makes your sunspots virtually vanish. You can get stuff for the bags under your eyes too. Takes out the moisture. Makes the bags get less. This is the last week you can get this sunspot miracle free. Time is running out to take advantage of this offer and watch your sunspots vanish and your bags and puffiness will be gone. For results in as little as 12 hours, the Genucel Immediate Effects is also yours free. Here's how you get it. You text EYES1 to 77453. That's E-Y-E-S-1 to 77453 to get the Genucel Sunspot Corrector free with your order. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Order now, and as a bonus, receive, receive Chamonix Luxury Microdermabrasion, also free. Rejuvenate and unclog pores for instantly radiant baby soft skin. Just text EYES1 to 77453, E-Y-E-S-1 to 77453 to get the Genucel Sunspot Corrector free with your order. So, you know, I talk a lot about narrative, right? Narrative shapes the way we think of things. We don't even know it's happening. If the people who control the narrative think on the left, they actually think they are controlling reality. That's not true. Reality is a narrative of its own and will always ultimately trump fake narratives. But fake narratives can do a lot of damage. This narrative about race that all the Democrats have, the economy is doing great, our foreign policy is really working, good judges who will obey the law are being appointed, Trump is doing a fantastic job as president of the United States, no matter what his personal flaws, he is doing a good job. The only thing they've got is this narrative about race and the effect that it has is really pernicious. It really shapes people's minds in ugly ways and it does it even if you fight back, especially if you fight back by calling them hypocrites because then you're buying into the narrative. If they say, oh, you're a racist and you, you know, you white man and you say, well, you called me a white man, you're a racist. That's buying into the narrative that we should be looking at each other in terms of the color of our skins. It's like putting on, it's like looking at the world through a, a, a pane of glass that's it, pointing out that only allows you to see people by the color of their skins. But what if we take that pane of glass away? What do we see then? And this is, I want to talk about this in terms of this caravan, they call it, or invasion, if you will, of migrants coming our way, a lot of them from Honduras. Some of them now, they say it's almost 7,000 strong. They say people are joining this. And, you know, I don't want to join in in the kind of nasty right-wing tone where we talk about, oh, I hate these people. And they're, you know, a lot of them are probably refugees. A lot of them are probably are running away. The rule about a refugee is the first free country you come to is the one you have to apply for refugee status. You can't walk through Mexico and come to the United States and say, well, I'm desperate to get out because if you were desperate, you would have applied for refugee status in Mexico. So none of this stuff is legitimate. It was arranged you know, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal comparing it to the Mariel Boatlift. That was in 1980. You ever saw the movie Scarface with Al Pacino? That's about the Mariel Boatlift. Essentially, um, Castro emptied his prisons and poured these people uh, into boats, and they all came over, and we wanted to take them in. We wound up with all these people, some of whom were really bad guys, and Miami paid the price. And that, if you watch that movie Scarface, that's what it's about, with the usual Oliver Stone left-wing nonsense thrown in. But, you know, this this one was this caravan was 
organized by a guy named Bartello Fuentes, who is a communist. Uh, the, he's from the Libre Party. And he's the guy, uh, Libre is the party of the former president, Manuel Zelaya, who was an ally of Venezuela and Cuba. He's basically a red, you know, there's a red guy. Uh, and he tried to stay in office to override the Honduran constitution, to remain in office despite a term limit. The Honduran Congress, his own party, the Supreme Court, uh, the Catholic Church, all opposed him, and he finally was removed by the military and never returned to power in spite of the fact that someone tried to keep him in power, namely the Barack Obama administration. But he didn't make it. So he organized this stuff as a way of getting at us, as a way of getting at America. It then got out of control. It got bigger than he thought it was. He was just bringing together disparate uh, people who wanted to get out. But that means that someone is funding this. And we don't know who it was. You know, we don't know who was paying for these people to come together but someone is. So, all right, here's what the our evil president is saying about people who try to get into this country illegally. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. Okay, that was... The evil president. That was actually the evil president. What I meant was Trump. Uh, I, I, I can understand. I confused you on that one. But let's get Trump on the migrant uh, caravan. Cut six. We have been giving so much money. When we ask them to keep their people in their country, they're unable to do it. It's called Make America Great Again. Take your camera, go into the middle and search. You're going to find MS-13, you're going to find Middle Eastern, you're going to find everything. And guess what? We're not allowing them in our country. We want safety. So he's saying this, and he's saying this is, is these rallies. Yesterday he had one for Ted Cruz, which was pretty funny, we'll try and get back to that. But he had one for Ted Cruz. First of all, the number of people at these rallies is insane. I mean, it's insane. He's packing these stadium-sized venues, and people are outside waiting and watching on screens. If this is a blue wave coming, I'm Dr. Seuss. I gotta say, this is this. I, I do not believe that this is not telling of what's going on. But anyway, here is the New York Times, a former newspaper, reporting on what Trump is doing, and this is indicative of all reporting. It's not just the Times. It is, they're all the left-wing reporters are doing this. Trump and GOP candidates escalate race and fear as election ploys. Now, did you hear him mention race in there? Did he say a word about the race of the people coming over? No, he didn't. He said, but President Trump, this is the headline, President Trump on Monday, sorry, this is the lead, President Trump on Monday sharply intensified a Republican campaign campaign to frame the midterm elections as a battle over immigration and race, issuing a dark and factually baseless warning that unknown Middle Easterners were marching toward the American border with Mexico. First of all, Sarah Sanders uh, said that at least 10 Middle Easterners come in almost every day or every week. I can't remember which, which she, she said, but that's not the point. Obviously, this has been a worry ever since 9-11 that terrorists would use our open borders, our unprotected borders, to slip people in. There has never been a terrorist attack committed by an illegal air, uh, immigrant. One guy who came in, I think, from Somalia did go up to Canada and try something, but that has, it has not been a thing. 
But that doesn't mean that that's not something we should worry about. So when they say it's factually baseless, they should take Trump's advice and go down there. They're, they're a newspaper. Go down and find out if what he's telling the truth. If they're going to tell us there are no criminals, if they come across the border, they are criminals. I mean, so that's ridiculous. And we know we know that people uh, that criminals come in. Listen, you know, for research, writing my crime novels, I have visited the federal prison here and, and prison state prisons. And let me tell you something. A lot of the people in those prisons are illegal immigrants. So the fact that it's factually basis is just nonsense. And what has it got to do with race? What has it got to do with race? Let me pause there for just a minute and talk about Helix sleep, or as I call it, Helix comfortably awake, because I never sleep. But if you rely on a Helix pillow or a Helix mattress, you are going to be incredibly comfortable. You guys won't feel it because you'll be out like a light because it's so comfortable. You'll just fall right asleep. But I can tell you, I can testify to the fact that it is really comfortable because I'm awake all night. Helix sleep, what they did is they built a sleep quiz that takes two minutes to complete, and they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, Helix can even split the mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. Right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders if you get up, if you go to Helix Sleep sleep.com slash Clavin. At helixsleep.com slash Clavin, you will get $125 off your mattress order. That's helixsleep.com slash Clavin. You can sleep like a log on these things, or you can lie awake and ask yourself the big questions like, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So, it's all about race as far as they're concerned, although Trump has said nothing about race. The unsubstantiated charge marked an escalation of Mr. Trump's efforts, says the New York Times, to stoke fears about foreigners and crime ahead of the November 6th vote, as he did to great effect in the presidential race. Well, why why are these fears, like irrational fears, I mean, why aren't these concerns? What is the argument for letting 7,000 people march across our border? And, and, you know, he says Mr. Trump and other Republicans are insistently seeking to tie Democrats to unfettered immigration and violent crime. Well, let's pause there for a minute. Do we have that picture of Keith Ellison? Do we have the, the, the image? There he is. He's wearing a T-shirt that says, I don't believe in borders. It says, says that in Spanish. Keith Ellison, who may lose his race, by the way, is not is not a low level Democrat. He is a major, major Democrat. The new Democrats, of course, they believe in open order uh, in open borders. The old Democrats played it safe. They used it as an issue, as we saw Obama do, but they never did anything about it. And one of the truly shameful moments of the Democrat Party is Chuck Schumer waving that pen around, saying, what do you mean you want us to pass a law? We're just the Senate of the United States. We don't pass laws. We wave pens around so the president can make fiats made like a king and solve this problem for us. They have been sitting on their hands for generations at this point. They do nothing to solve this problem. And if you don't think the new generation of Democrats believes in open borders, let's just have as a reminder, let's listen to uh, Alexandria Google Eyes Cortez talking about abolishing ICE. Well, we, absolutely, we absolutely do need to make sure that our borders are secure, to make sure that people are safe in passage. But what we need to realize and remember is that ICE was established in 2003, right at the same time as the Patriot Act, the AUMF, the Iraq War. And we look back at a lot of that time and legislation as a, as a mistake now. And I think that ICE is right there as a part of it. It has um, extra, its extrajudicial nature is baked in 
to the structure of the agency, and that is why they're able to get away with black, uh, you know, with black sites at our border, with the separation of children. Um, we are we are committing human rights abuses on this border and separating children from their families, and uh, that you know is is part of the structure of the agency. We can replace it, and we can replace it with a humane agency that is directed towards safe passage what do instead you of the direction sites? of uh, the criminalization. We are, com are committing human rights abuses by enforcing our borders. I should be taking care of safe passage, safe passage. If that's not open borders, I don't know what is. So, so far, I mean, look, Trump does have that uh, Carney Barker thing where he blows everything out of proportion, but he's not telling lies like Obama told, like if you want your doctor, you can keep your doctor, or your premiums are going to go down, or Bill Ayers, the terrorist, who's just a guy in the neighborhood, uh, you know, or, or there's not a smidgen of corruption at the IRS. He's not telling lies like that. He is talking about a, a genuine situation. There is no argument. Look, and again, this is not a lack of sympathy on my part. It's, there is no argument for allowing a wave of people to come into this country illegally. There just isn't. So they go on and they say, it's not just Trump who's a racist. It's all the Republicans. In upstate New York, Republican political groups have aired ads branding a Democratic congressional candidate, Antonio Delgado, who is black, as a big city rapper and accusing him of seeking to give government handouts, in quotes, to food stamp recipients. You know, this is the other thing. Whenever they want to cut food stamps, the New York Times immediately runs front page stories saying that most people who get food stamps are white, are white. But now food stamps is a, a, a dog whistle, as they say, for racism. They just are imposing this. What happens? What happens when you just refuse to accept this narrative? What happens when you come out from behind the scrim, you come out from behind that pane of glass that they've put in front of us so that we have to look at each other? You know, th the reason this narrative works is because it's primitive. They call themselves progressive, but they want us to go back to the days when everything was race, when race was the big deal. But in fact, if you come out from behind that pane of glass and you look at the world without race, if you just say, hey, I'm not going to pay attention to race, everything becomes about behavior. Everything then becomes about culture and behavior. And then you can say, hey, I criticize that behavior because this, this, and this, because it's immoral. It is wrong to break into a person's country as it is wrong to break into a person's house. When you start to look at behavior, then a lot of the favored actors of the Democrat Party get criticized. That's why they're in the Democrat Party, because the Democrats will use racism to protect their bad behavior. That is what Democrats essentially do. That's essentially their entire strategy. Look, nothing Trump is doing now, nothing Trump is doing is outside the bounds of American politics. He is Trump. Everything he does is outsized. Even his mistakes are outsized. The way he talks is outsized. But, but you cannot let seven to 10,000 people march across your border because it just means there'll be another seven to 10,000 people. And you, we do not know yet. We do not know who is using these people, right? These, you know, a lot of these people are innocents and they're just trying to get, uh, get do, do what's right for their family. But we don't know yet. We know that they were organized at first by this communist. We don't know who is funding them or paying them to get them across the border. We just don't know. And all this fear mongering, the real fear mongering is on the left. Let's say, is Jenna with us? Let us bring on Jenna Ellis. I shouldn't have to actually look at your uh, introduction anymore, Jenna, uh, but she's the director of the Dobson Policy Center. Uh, she's a contributor to the Washington Examiner, The Federalist, and The Daily Wire, and her book is called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, a Guide for Christians to Understand America's Current Constitutional Crisis. Jenna, do you know that we now call this the Jenna Spot? Did I tell you that? 
Oh, you didn't. I love it. Thanks so much. I'm very happy to come on. We had Mike Duran on yesterday, and I said to Rob, just put him in the Jenna spot. You know, it's like, so, so now. now (laughs) Excellent. So, so the New York Times runs this hilarious headline, transgender could be defined out of existence under Trump administration. And one of their editors from Washington, an assistant editor from Washington, tweeted this out as if this were an actual Uh, you know, like a kind of genocide. We were destroying transgender people. What is this all about? Why are they doing this? Right. And, you know, the hashtag was we won't be eradicated. And um, (laughs) what's amazing is that if if Trump can can just eradicate an entire segment of the population through a piece of paper, then, um, you know, the the civil rights movement would have never achieved anything. (laughs) (laughs) This probably would have been easier for Hitler, right? So so this is absolutely absurd. And what's really going on is that um, the, the definition of gender and sex has never been in our federal government ever legislatively determined by Congress. So we're in this kind of national debate right now as whether sexual orientation or sex uh, or uh, gender identity and uh, transgender status is uh, within the protected class of sex when we're talking about gender discrimination under Title IX. And so that's what we're talking about. And the Department of Health and Human Services I had a memo that has now been released through this New York Times article that's basically saying we're going to go back to pre-Obama era regulations and policy. This isn't Trump narrowly defining anything. This is going back to saying that gender is defined as biological immutable uh, characteristics based on genitalia. That's how it's always been for 6,000 years and as long as you know humans have been, have been in existence until until the Obama-era policy expanded that definition to include sexual orientation, gender identity, and transgender status. And so what the New York Times is trying to uh, define the narrative as is, is to basically say that Trump and his administration are being bigoted and eradicating transgenderism, but really all that's happening is that he's, he is properly rolling back Obama-era regulations. I mean, you really could have run a more honest headline saying that the left is trying to define gender out of existence, right? I mean, that that that, that was the basis for Absolutely. the anti-discrimination idea in the first place. Don't discriminate on the basis of sex, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, this is the New York Times, so do they ever really have any accurate <laughs> headlines? But yes, they should have. Uh, they should have said that this is going back to biological definition that doesn't have social policy uh, anywhere in it. And so, so when we're talking about gender-based discrimination and why we have those types of uh, labor laws, why we have that in um, gender discrimination education programs, financial assistance, we're literally talking about the difference between men and women. We are making sure that women are not discriminated against. That was the whole idea of this. And yet the left and their social policy is wanting to expand that definition that, hey, I can identify however I want. So, you know, so pretty soon, like, you know, Andrew, I've been seeing these, uh, these, these memes about people who are identifying as cats and dogs. I mean, is that now going to become, you know, it's gender based that my, my gender identity is that I'm a leopard? I mean, at what point do we stop the ridiculousness? Now, now, Title IX, it seems to me, has been used as a bludgeon to take away the due process rights of men. It has been used, the Obama administration went out of their mind. Is there some world in which Title IX is useful? Does it do anything for anybody? Does it help with anything? <laughs> Well, you know, fewer laws are always better, in my opinion, yeah. to protect and preserve liberty. So, 
Uh, so, you know, the, the federal government here, what really needs to happen to make sure that uh, that Title IX is appropriately used and that we, I mean, because nobody wants to discriminate on the basis of gender. I think in 2018, we all recognize that at least in first wave feminism, that's a good thing to make sure that we have equality in that sense. But uh, where this is, where this really needs to go is that Congress needs to pick itself up by its bootstraps and actually say, we're going to provide federal legislation that defines gender as biological and an immutable condition. And then all of the cases that are currently being litigated under Title IX, a lot of those would be much more effectively and easily resolved. It is, it's an amazing thought that we need our Congress to legislate what a man and a woman is. It is indicative of the fact <laughs> that we've lost our minds. I, I mean, all right. Uh, all right. Well, Jenna, thank you very Absolutely. much. I, thank you very much. I, I would like to talk about the. I'm running out of time, but I'd like to talk about this Title IX thing some more. I've never been quite sure whether it's a good or bad thing because of its the way it's demolished certain sports uh, for boys. Um, but we'll talk, we'll have to talk about it another time. Mm-hmm. Jenna Ellis, director of the Absolutely. Dobson Policy well, the next, Center. The next yep. Jenna spot. The next That's Jenna it. spot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is what yes, the Jenna exactly. spot is for. That is why there is a Jenna spot. Thanks very much, Jenna. It's always good talking to you. <laughs> Thanks, Jer. Bye. <laughs> All right, we have got a an interview with the uh, evil Kurt Schlichter. I don't even know. We had him in our studio, and this smell of sulfur in the air. <laughs> but no, the guy is great, and he's hilarious. He's got a new book called Militant Normals. But first, we have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to the dailywire.com, dailywire.com. There's no the in dailywire.com. It is just dailywire.com, and when you come there, you can be in tomorrow's mailbag. Hit the podcast button. Hit the Andrew Clavin podcast. Hit the mailbag. Ask me any question you want. My answer is guaranteed correct. I mean, this is it's a lousy 10 bucks a month, a lousy 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks for a year. You get another kingdom, leftist tears tumbler, all your questions answered. And we'll even throw in the Ben Shapiro show. It's just to show you what, what great guys we are. All right, come on over to dailywire.com. Kurt Schlichter is a pal and also a successful trial lawyer, as he will tell you uh, any chance he gets, a retired Army infantry colonel, as he will also tell you any chance he gets, and a senior columnist for townhall.com. I love the guy's new book, Militant Normals, How Regular Americans Are Rebelling Against the Elite to Reclaim Our Democracy. It is out now. Here's Kurt. Kurt, it is great to see you. It's great to be uh, here. It's, it's been far too long. I know. It's like the only time I see people is when I interview them. Now. I know. And we're, we're, we're like in Los Angeles. Now, what people don't understand is that everything in Los Angeles, though, is like an hour and a half away. I know. I know. If, in good traffic. Which in never good traffic. Exists. Yeah, I so mean, it was like an hour coming. I was stuck in traffic. I was doing radio hits in traffic on the way up here. I'm like, I'm on the 405. So I'm angry, and now you're asking me about stripper Matlock. <laughs> that is so L.A. Is <laughs> all right. So aside from aside from how did you get through security, which actually we, we should check that out because you know, um, let, let's talk about the book. Is militant normals great title? What does it mean? Well, look, I, I posit that there are really two classes in America, and I think I think there used to be a divide over politics, left and right. And I think it's much more class now because we are seeing people on the right, and you know, sometimes you call them never Trumpers, uh, although I think that's a misleading uh, uh, description. Uh, you see people who identify with the values of those who kind of tend to run our institutions, uh, run academia, Hollywood, politics. Now, I want to be, and I call them the elite in the book. 
except they're not really elite. <laughs> they're sort of self-appointed elite. The way they get to be within the elite is they choose to be within the elite. So you can be elite if you, uh, you know, have uh, uh, five degrees and you're the president of a university. But you can also be within the elite if you merely identify it. If you're that guy sitting in Starbucks, right? He's got the knit cap. He's got a, a Chinese character tattooed on that he thinks means luck, and it really means sucker. And, and, he, and, he, and he's typing away on his uh, 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 Mac Pro, uh, you know, about how Trump treason, uh, the Russians are bad, which... And I've always loved the new turnaround on Russians being bad. Yeah, suddenly they're bad. Because I was literally in the Cold War. (laughs) I I was literally an army officer in Germany when the wall fell. And my mission was to die fighting the Russians. It was was like, Kurt, you fight until you die. And hopefully by then we'll have sent the guys over. And of course, the guys coming over are the normals. These are the guys who built this country, feed this country, fuel this country, defend this country, and don't want to take a huge day-by-day interest in the running of the country. I mean, you and I, we follow politics all the time because we choose to. Most people want to follow their kids' little league team, or they want to, you know, barbecue with their friends, or they just, you know, go to their church or their synagogue. They want to live their life their way, and they're and, and they allow the elite to do the running of society, right? And they take a little off the top, right? You get your power, you get your prestige, you know, you get your position, you get some money, and that's okay with them. Just provide us prosperity and security. Do a good job, and you, you can. I'll leave you alone. But when they stop doing a good job, that's when people get militant. We saw it at the uh, silent majority under Nixon. We saw it uh, when Reagan was elected. I think Ross Perot uh, was a, a, a symbol of it, although... Although, for, I give him credit, Bill Clinton, I think, understood normal Americans better than our yeah. Democrat. Yeah. That, uh, Biden's pretty good about it, too, which is why he worries me for 2020. Uh, and then the Tea Party, of course. But the difference now with the Tea Party, you had the elite fighting back. Instead of going, we got to change a little, you know, the Democrats became more conservative after Ronald Reagan because they saw his successful economy. They're like, okay, we need to be a little more serious about this stuff. Yeah, Clinton, too. Exactly. Clinton was a more moderate Democrat. Uh, it was a reaction to the normal people saying, this isn't working for us. Um, with, the, with the Tea Party, you had kind of the bipartisan uh, elite, because there can be conservatives in the elite who also want their power and prestige, and they kind of united to push down this rebellion, but they didn't, they didn't fix the problem. So it pops back up in 2016. And it's still going on. And the big difference is, you know, the elite used to respect normals. They used to think of the normal people as, well, maybe they didn't honor all the values and traditions that the, the normals kind of were the receptacle of. You know, I mean, the Kennedys would not get out there and say, I hate motherhood and I hate the flag, <laughs> even though they lived in a way, you know, yeah. at least hating motherhood. They, they seem to like the flag. Yep. Not Teddy, but <laughs> at least yeah. John F. Kennedy fought for it. Um, but it's true. Hollywood used to make movies for the middle of the country. It, exactly. Yeah. Look, it, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. This is a movie that's... Going my way, sure. Exactly. These are movies that celebrate normal Americans. Bert and Ernie, the cop and the uh, taxi driver right. in... in uh, uh, wonderful life, uh, embodied what America is. Remember, they all went off to war. So what happened? Why, why did they lose? How did they lose the trend? I of think that? in the 60s, we had a fight within the elite. 
And we had an old elite that still held to that. And we had a young elite that kind of wanted to kick them out of power. And the way to do that was to be countercultural, to attack the underlying assumptions. And of course, they were fueled by the Frankfurt School stuff that our mutual friend Michael Walsh writes about so much better than I do. Yeah, no, it's really good stuff. It it is good stuff. I actually say in the book, look, if you want a serious exploration of this, go, go buy Michael Walsh's book. Because mine is not a political science slog. I'm a political science major. I got a strategic studies degree. I got a law degree. All that's baloney. My book is fun. Okay, you're going to laugh. I make fun of stupid people. I'm obnoxious. Exactly. I'm obnoxious. I like to think it's very Breitbarty while also presenting a coherent argument and a, a, a way to think about what's going on. Okay. It, at least to, to posit, okay, you got the normals, you got the elites, how are they interacting? There's one way of thinking about it. And I think it answers, I, I think it's a, a good general answer to the questions. And of course, there are people who are, you know, cross the lines. So are there, are there dangers to this when you talk about, I mean, I, I've always thought that the, the people in this country, as a kid, I wandered all around this country and I was shocked because I was a, an elite coast person. Right. I was shocked to find how smart and, and lo- lovely and yes. funny they all, they all were. But I also saw during the Tea Party where they would throw up uh, candidates like Christine O'Donnell, you know, I'm not a witch and all these people who really <laughs> could not compete at the level of, of the elite politicians. Is there a danger that we're going to do that again? Certainly, because like any human endeavor, uh, the normal's rebellion is going to have setbacks. And we're going to make dumb choices. Christine O'Donnell was a dumb choice. We should have taken Mike Castle, right? And and I think I talk about this in the book. Mike Castle was a squish. He was a soft Republican of the kind that Delaware would elect, okay? He's annoying. He's like, you know, a Murkowski or a Flake. You can't really trust him all the time, but you can trust him most of the time, and you can trust him most of the time when you need him. You know, sometimes we, uh, sometimes like in any human endeavor, we let our emotion get ahead of our cold ruthlessness. Uh, looking back, I would be happy if we got rid of Christine McDonald, who, who probably would have voted my way uh, uh, on everything uh, except for her fascination with Wiccan rights. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, witchcraft, the witchcraft was a drawback. <laughs> you know, put a spell on you, uh, Tea Party, uh, and have him. But look, we're, we're going to make mistakes, but we're also going to make good choices. Got Ted Cruz. We got Mike Lee. I mean, we've got some outstanding folks, and we're getting rid of the cruise shilling hacks. Flake is going away. Corker is going away. A lot of these guys are going away and the other ones are scared. And that's good because you get to Washington, you become part of the elite. Suddenly you're starting to think about, okay, what's in it for me? What I want them to think is, okay, if I I can't play the, I'm gonna talk big out in Iowa and I'm gonna come back here and vote like I'm from Marin County, okay? I want. We have the technology. We have social media to watch these guys twenty four seven. This is going to force them harder to the right. Uh, it also forces uh, Democrats harder to the left. You know, I was talking to Ann Coulter recently, and she was saying she's baffled by the fact that a Trump won't build the wall, which was her big. That was her big issue, and that the Republicans are just kind of like not helping him when this seems to her to be what got Trump elected. Does that startle you? Does it startle you that they just kind of threw this overboard? I think it's human nature. I think uh, I think when you're turning around a ship at sea, it's going to be a, a wide turn. Now, I'm frustrated and annoyed and angry, and I think the voters are too. 
But I understand why it has to happen. Look, I was in the army for 27 years. I know about big, lumbering, inefficient <laughs> institutions. Uh, I, com- I, I was a commander of a battalion. I was deputy commander, acting commander at a brigade. Brigade's 5,000 people. It's like a moving village. And you can't turn on a dime. I mean, when we would plan, uh, you're taking the analogy out, but when we would plan, you do anything at the brigade level, that's a three-day thing. Move from here five miles away. That's a three-day operation because it's 5,000 people. Look at the, uh, to move our politics is a huge endeavor. And, I, and we have to understand we're not going to win every fight right now. Right. Uh, I think Trump is interesting and, and good because he understands power, I think, better than a lot of these people. He's more willing to use power uh, aggressively than other people. Uh, during the, I'm firing Rosenstein, maybe I'm not firing Rosenstein, or maybe I am, or maybe I will. Uh, I thought, you know, tactically, I might not make that choice, but this is one guy who's not afraid to use power. Now, he's kind of got it out there. I think Rose, uh, we'll see. I don't know by the time yeah. this broadcast, Rosenstein yeah. may be gone. Yeah. Maybe in federal prison. Who knows? <laughs> um, what, what, what do you, where do you stand about Trump? Because you've been, you've been very supportive of him, uh, but he obviously is, can be problematic, right? Uh, look, chapter one of my book is about my conversion okay. uh, from anti-Trump. I was never, never Trump. I was never Jeb because I can't stand that puffball. <laughs> Um, I, I freaking Jeb, and throughout the book, Jeb has an exclamation point. So I'm doing, you know, Tony Katz did most was, of the audio. That was possibly the funniest exclamation point in the history of exclamation points. It is, books. it yeah. is great. Uh, Tony Katz did most of the book, but I did chapter one for the audio book. And every time Jeb comes up, I'm like, Jeb! Um, God, I hate that guy. Uh, but I was never, never Trump. I was anti-Trump. Okay. Uh, yeah, me too. But, but I was never Hillary. Uh-huh. And Trump wasn't a conservative. I was an ideological conservative, Drew. I I, I read the uh, uh, National Review every week when I was in uh, uh, you know in the eighties. That was that was how we got conservatism. Yeah, sure. That was your conservative delivery system. You can go on the internet. You, you weigh it every two weeks, and you got Buckley's book, right? Uh, and uh, or, or uh, magazine, and then later I. I read the Weekly Standard. Look, we all, you know, we, we all. None of this is perfect. We all, we all take ahoy. <laughs> Cruise shilling hat. God, I hate those guys. Um, boy, yeah. they've really sunk. Um, but uh, So Trump wasn't that guy. But, but Trump was not that guy. And I was like, what the hell is this guy? Right, right. Now, look, I, I, I'm a blue state trial lawyer. I drive a car that costs more than my parents' house. Uh, when they bought it in San Mateo, not when they sold it 40 years <laughs> later, say, a month ago. For this car no, that you, was, oh, no, I um, But, you know, I, and I, I've got multiple advanced degrees. So I have, I have the credentials to be elite. Right. And I think for a while, maybe I was identifying as one, which is, and yet I was always sympathetic because my roots are in uh, rural Pennsylvania. That's where my parents came from. Uh, my dad was a chemical engineer. My mom was a judge. Um, and uh, I was a, Army officer, and I led normal Americans, right. and I, I just adored the troops. I just my my respect for these guys was boundless. I was always stunned that they let me in the room, much less be the colonel. Uh, and I think I for, I think, and I'm I'm going to take the blame here. I don't want to cast on anyone else, but I, I think I think my journey is kind of like uh, uh, what some of the movement had. I forgot mm. to think about what the effect was. You know, I. Huge supporter of free trade, but then you got that guy, and he's fifty-eight, and he's in he's Bloomington, Illinois, yeah. and he worked at the, he 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 did a tour in the Marines, Desert Storm. Now he's back, and he's worked for twenty-five years 
at uh, the carrier plant making air conditioners, right? And uh, you know, he's got a kid in college, and he's got a mortgage, uh, and uh, he's got to work maybe 10, 15, 10, 10 years at least. And one day a guy pulls up in the limousine, and he looks a lot like Mitt Romney, and he gets out and he goes, well, you guys, you know, according to Milton Friedman, it makes sense for me to send your jobs to Oaxaca. Right, yeah, Adios, everybody learn coding. <laughs> and, and what, what, and this guy's been a Republican forever. This is the guy we asked to come out, right? The guy, asked, tell, tell the people at your church, tell the people at the Little League game, tell them to co-vote Republican. He goes, heck yeah, I'm going to do that. But now he's out of a job. And what's our answer to him? Well, you know, free markets. I love free markets. There's a consequence. What are we doing for our people? Illegal immigration. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, you know legal immigration helps the economy. Massive immigration is good. I know I married, a, I married an immigrant. What about the guy who can't get a job roofing out in Fontana? Yeah. You know, 60 miles from here, a guy who wants to be a roofer, but he can't because all these illegals will work for 10 bucks an hour. And the contractor goes, look, I'd love to hire you, Joe. Love to hire you. But I can't pay you. I can't compete if I don't hire these guys. And then, and then he's driving his car home and he gets, he gets sideswiped by a guy in some crummy Corolla. And the guy's illegal and he's got no uh, uh, insurance. A cop comes and the guy goes, the guy's an illegal alien. And the cop goes, I can't do anything about yeah. it. And the dude goes, adios. And he drives away, and now, now this guy, he doesn't have a job, now he's got a $900 bill. What do we, what, what does the Wall Street Journal say to him? Well, you know, open borders is, is Milton Friedman's. I love Milton Friedman, okay? <laughs> okay but yeah. he doesn't pay for this guy's freaking broken car. No, it's, it's absolutely true. I, I, we're running out of time, so I just want to ask you, what, what do you think is coming down the pike uh, in the midterms? Uh, I think the Kavanaugh thing has the potential to uh, mobilize not only conservatives, but independents at this amazing injustice, this disgraceful, disgusting uh, character assassination. I think we need to point out aggressively that every one of you, especially suburban women tending, who tend to vote Republican, but the Democrats are trying to peel off, you've got a son, you've got a husband, you've got a brother, and every single one of them is vulnerable to lies. If the standard is somebody points to you and says guilty, and you're guilty, if the crucible becomes not a, not, not a book you read in high school, but a how-to Okay, your own people are going to suffer. Is that the world you want? If it is, vote Democrat. I hope I hope they hear you. Kurt Schlichter, great to see you. Militant Normals is the book, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading it. Nobody sent it to me, but uh, I'll get it. <laughs> 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 Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. Kurt. <laughs> Sexual follies. <laughs> So at the Institute for Family Studies, Nicholas Wolfinger, a sociologist at the University of Utah, concluded in his study that Americans who remained celibate until they were married were quite likely to say they were in a very happy marriage. Conversely, women with the lowest odds of marital happiness were those with six to ten sexual partners in their lives. So it turns out the standard wisdom was true, you know, and that that is how often does that happen? You know, I've been reading a lot about these, the way people form their moral opinions. And I've read uh, this book called Just Babies. I'm reading the book now from Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind. And I, I love these guys. They're studying how our moral sense evolved. But they don't, because they make, we were talking about this yesterday, because they make the assumption of materialism, 
I don't think they're doing the study properly. And it goes back to this idea of virginity being the best thing, especially for women before marriage. Don't have sex until you're married. It will make you happier both before and after you are married. And we always knew this, and then we forgot it. In the 60s, they declared it to be suddenly untrue, and everybody said, ah, yes, we can't explain it. So there, we can't make the argument for it, and therefore, because of birth control, and therefore, it must be wrong, right? That was the argument. The argument was, oh, yeah, that was in the old days when you might get pregnant, but now you won't get pregnant anymore, so it doesn't matter anymore. In these studies where they try to figure out how people make moral decisions, they have a, a story called the incest story. <clears throat> and the incest story goes like this. Two a brother and sister who love each other very much are on a camping trip. Uh, they are alone in a cabin, and they decide that they, they would like to have sex. And so they use double birth control. She's on the pill. He uses a condom. They have sex once. They enjoy it. It brings them closer together. Uh, they decide never to do it again, and they never tell anybody, is it wrong? Is it wrong? And so in the, when they do the test, almost everybody says, yes, it's wrong. And then they ask them to explain why. And nobody can explain why, because the general wisdom is that incest is wrong because it creates, uh, you know, uh, it creates birth defects in the, in the children. And that is why we have this innate taboo against incest. And now that in this particular case, the fact that they are not going to have children that they've used and they're not going to do it again and they're not going to tell anybody eliminates all the possible arguments against this morally wrong, being morally wrong. And yet people still, still say it's morally wrong. And then they get confused when they can't explain it anymore. And that basically the scientists then say, oh, well, it's not morally wrong. This was an evolutionary idea caused to keep people from having birth defects. But now it's become obsolete or at least is obsolete in this, in this situation. I think that that is entirely incorrect. We have developed a moral sense in the same way we've developed eyesight, okay? We look at things, we see them, the things are there. They may not look exactly like we, we see them, a, a glass like the one I'm holding or a leftist tears tumbler like the one I'm holding is mostly empty space. I just see it as being a solid object, but that works in my human world, right? I'm seeing it as a human experience as the human experience of the leftist tears tumbler. The same thing is true with morality. We see it. Sometimes we see the wrong thing and we have to correct it with reason. That is why we have reason. One of the reasons we have reason. But that doesn't mean because we can't explain it, it isn't there. The scientists are making a mistake. Now, my son Spencer explained this to me. It's Aristotle. Here he is. We have him on the show because if I could have my son Spencer on the show, I would have him. But instead, I have a bust of Aristotle. He speaks about something called charismos, which means separation. And this means that when something is actually not separable, it actually is one thing, but in order to talk about it, you separate it, okay? So what the scientists are doing is they are separating the moral instinct from reason. And they do this because they're looking at things evolutionarily, historically. They're saying one came first and the other came second, but that doesn't matter. We don't make our moral decisions purely from uh, our moral sense, and we don't make them purely from reason. They are one thing. The charismos is a fake, uh, is a false strategy that we use in order to talk about them, but we can't really think about ourselves that way completely. We actually see things more than we know. So what's wrong with the story about incest, okay, is that when you have sex with someone, it changes your relationship. So the idea that they go on and they just go back to being brother and sister but feel better is a lie. It's not true. See, people are not spotting that in the story. The other thing is, is people don't have sex and then stop. Once you have sex with someone, you think, oh, that's a fun thing, and then you keep doing it. 
And thirdly, a brother-sister relationship is a thing. It is a kind of thing. And when you violate the kind of thing that it is, you have set off all kinds of shockwaves in the world that you don't know how they're going to play out in your relationship. Most people know that when they have sex with someone, they have set down a road in which they're either going to end up getting married or it's going to get ugly. One of those two things is going to happen. Very rare that it happens otherwise, though sometimes it does. So the story itself is not an accurate representation of reality. So people are reacting to reality, which is that incest is wrong and it really is destructive to the relationship that a brother and sister have. But, they're, but in the context of the story, which is a fantasy, a complete fantasy, they can't explain why their instinct is wrong, see? So when people came to us and they said, oh, marriage, you don't have to have sex within marriage anymore because now we have birth control and you won't get pregnant, they were telling a story about the world that wasn't true, and our moral and our reason got befuddled, and we didn't trust our moral instincts. Moral instincts can be wrong. Reason can disprove a moral instinct. Racism, for instance, may have made sense at some tribal point in our, in our society. I don't think it does any longer make sense. But before you tear down a tradition, figure out exactly why it's there. Before you tear down the wall, figure out what's on the other side. And if you don't believe me, here is an uh, Islamic cleric explaining why girls should wear a hijab, because if they don't, a jinn might fall in love with them. Then don't forget that there are other creations besides men. There are men who are going to look at you, but at the same time, a jinn may fall in love with you. And this is something very, very common. I had a case where a jinn had possessed a sister, she was waiting at the bus stop and the jinn fell in love with her. She was walking through a park and the jinn followed her. She was waiting at the bus stop and the jinn fell in love with her and it actually possessed her. And when they fall in love, they're very, very difficult to remove because their love is like almost a blind type of love. It's like I would rather die than leave this individual. Okay, never mind the hijab, but stay out of people's beds until you're married. <laughs> because I don't know, I'm not, not as worried about the jinn as I am about actual uh, human beings. Although they do, those little demons don't go very well with tonic. Uh, it's a gin and tonic. All right, mailbag tomorrow. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.